Last week, I started the series called Loving Generously. And my goal for the series is that it would help us continue to grow in being a compassionate church, willing to serve our neighbors and our community by showing and sharing the gospel. Go ahead and grab a Bible, uh, either the one you brought, or if you need a Bible, there's a black Bible right in the pew rack right in front of you. And you can turn to page uh, 774 if you're using the pew Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at the story of the rich young man, rich young ruler as some uh, would say. And what does it mean to be a generous lover of other people? When Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he said these words. He said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What does that have to do with generosity? Though I'm not speaking about that particular um, section of verses, I did want to help us have a connection here that there is something to be said about our love and generosity towards God is directly connected to our love and generosity towards others. You notice this in the passage. When he says, when you come to offer your, your worship, your love and your offering to God, but you remember you have something wrong with someone else in relationship, don't offer that yet. Just stop and go and offer love and generosity to others. And then when you come back, you can fully offer your gift to God. See, I believe when we give ourselves to God, he often redirects us to give ourselves one to another. Because it actually prepares our heart greater when we come to give ourselves to God. Today, we're going to look at the story of the rich young man. And I'm going to read it in its entirety in verse 16 through 22, and then I want to walk back through the passage and make some observations today. It says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what, must good, uh, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, well, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I want to focus for just a moment to, to, to lead us into this passage on verse 21, where it says that Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect. Now, how many of you would consider yourselves perfect? Not a hand in sight. 
The word here is, uh, the Greek word is teleos, and it really means if you would be mature, if you would be complete, if you would be finished. One of our goals in the Christian life is that we would continue to grow in our sanctification, our holiness, that God's working in us and through us to make us more like Jesus. And so what he's saying to this man is, if, if you're going to continue to pursue righteousness, if you want to be complete, finished, then you ought to consider doing these things. Now, salvation comes alone through Jesus Christ and his grace. We don't earn our salvation. But in the reception, uh, the reception of the grace of God, he forgives us of all. He is working in us and through us to manifest that which is holy. So he focuses, he says, if you want to be perfect, you want to be mature, you want to, you want to be complete and finished, you want to finish well, then you need to be loving, giving, and serving. I think every one of us here are in this position of we're not perfect, but we ought to all be pursuing the perfection of Christ as he works in us. And one of the areas he focuses on here is how we love and serve other people. We may think, hey, I've got my prayer life down. I'm reading my Bible all the time. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to church every week. Great, that is certainly what your heart ought to say. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you realize the second commandment was this. Love your neighbor as yourself. To neglect that will actually hinder your, the first commandment. If you can't love your neighbor as yourself, you will struggle to truly love God as he's called you to. As we look at these passages, there'll be three observations I have, and here's the first one. It's about confession. He's going to ask this man basically to confess that there is a God, and he's not it. You realize there is one God. Look at verse 16. He says, and behold, a man came up to him. Matthew limits the description to a man. In verse 22, he does reveal that he is a young man. In the Gospel of Mark, he indicates that this man was running and knelt before Jesus, showing an eager devotion. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that he was a ruler. That's where we get the rich young ruler, probably a synagogue leader. But regardless of how uh, he's described, he is, he is certainly younger, he's eager, uh, perhaps a little uh, egotistical because he believes he's arrived already. But he says this to Jesus, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What this rich man calls eternal life, Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven in verse 23. If you go on a little further in verse 25, the disciples call this to be saved. How can someone be saved? These are synonymous terms. Eternal life, kingdom of heaven, salvation. And so what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life? And Jesus answers him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. So he stops him in his tracks and he diverts the question to, hold on, let's go back to the beginning part of your, your basis. You're saying, what must I do, you know, to, to, to get eternal life? This, what's about this goodness? 
Why do you ask me, Jesus says? There's only one that is good. You can only go to one who is perfect, complete. Jesus is teaching this young man right from the beginning that God is perfect and sinners like himself are not. We're lacking. All are incomplete. All lack this perfection. No one has full maturity. As Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus is for, focusing this young man on the seriousness of the word good when he says, pause, only God is good. Not you, not others, only God. Now, in this statement, I do not believe Jesus was disclaiming his own deity, but he was challenging this young man. Basically, do you believe that I am good and therefore I am God? If you're coming to me for this wisdom, you've got to know who I am for us to go any further. There's only one that is good. If Jesus is merely just a good teacher like the other teachers of the land, his his thoughts, his teaching would be of no more value than anyone else. But if Jesus is good, then he is God, and we had better listen to what he says. He's confronting him right on the front of, of who is good, what is good, and how are you going to follow. This young man's biggest problem was his unwillingness to confess his own spiritual bankruptcy. He comes in fairly egotistical. He's thinking, here's a teacher, I'll just throw this out. Hey, just tell me what I've got. And basically, I believe he's wanting affirmation. Oh, you are perfect. You are so good. Compared to your peers, you rate far above. And that's not the kind of answer he's receiving. Too often, like this young man, we will overrate our goodness. We see this in sports. You ever seen some egotistical sports guys? Doesn't matter what level you're at, but oh, we're number one, we're the greatest ever. I've seen, I always love the, the boxing matches prior to the boxing match when the two boxers have to see each other on the, on the platform and they're all boasting about how great they are and you realize one of them is going down the next night. It's just gonna happen. In the Super Bowl, you get all the big egotistical guys and they say all kinds of things, you know. I'll never forget, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, I don't care what you believe about that, but uh, you know, I, I will just always, I'll go down in history saying the Atlanta Falcons had the greatest three quarters of football I've ever seen in my life in the Super Bowl. That's all we need to remember. But everybody can be egotistical. Politics happens this way, business people, education, you know, how great I'm, I am, I'm just the smartest ever, and then you take your final and you find out you're not as smart as you thought you were. I'm not projecting anything on any of you, just, you know. Oh, we overrate our goodness, and we do this in the Christian life as well. Because we get into a position of comparing ourselves to what we see, and God never has you compare yourself to others. Oh, look at my life compared to theirs. Look at my marriage compared to theirs. Look at my parenting compared to theirs. God does not have you do that. God says, if you want a comparison, compare your life to the perfection of God, and you get a true perspective of where you are. And every one of us falls short of the glory of God. So he's, he wants him to know and confess, there is a God and he's not him. Therefore, we need 
the grace of God in the empowerment of God if we're ever going to live out his will. There's no room to boast in this. Well, he moves from uh, confessing that there is a God and it's not this young man. He moves to now commit yourself to loving others. Look at verse 17. If you would enter life, and he's referring back to that eternal life, this young man just mentioned. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. He's not suggesting here once again that if you obey all the commandments, you've earned your salvation. But the evidence of your salvation is that you love God and you're going to live out what he says. If you love me, you will obey me, Jesus says. Words are cheap. Actions speak. So commit to loving others. He said, if you would enter life, keep commandments. He said that to him, which ones? Which I think is a very egotistical type of response. Okay, well, which one? Just pick out one that maybe I haven't done. Like he's going to be, you know, trivial pursuit through the Old Testament. And, and if you know Jesus at all, he kind of summarizes so that anybody can get it. He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. When asked before about, you know, what are the, what are the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? He actually gave two answers. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. A two-year-old can capture that thought. Love God, love others. Which ones do I have to obey? Huh. Both. Love God, love others. Loving God, because he's the only one who is good. Therefore, that's why we worship him alone. And love others. Why? Because we're all sinful. And not one of us is better than any of the others. We're all separated from a holy God and all need the grace of God. So he begins to answer with a, a lengthier answer, but with the thought of loving God and loving others. Notice what he says here. He goes to the man's weakness. He said, you shall not murder, which is commandment number six. You shall not commit adultery, which is commandment number seven. You shall not steal, commandment number eight. You shall not bear false witness, uh, commandment number nine. And verse 19 says, honor your father and your mother, which is the fifth commandment. And then summarizing all of that, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what all of these have in common? Loving your neighbor as yourself. If you realize in the Old Testament, when they listed the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down on the, on the tablets, the first four commandments deal with your love for God. The last six have to do with your love for your neighbor. Love God. Make him number one. Don't worship anybody else. He, he lists all of these. You know, uh, uh, keep the Sabbath. But then he, he takes the shift in verse five, or uh, in commandment number five, you're going to honor your father and mother. You're not going to uh, commit murder. You're not going to commit adultery. And all the way down, focus on your love for God. Focus on your love for others. So he lists the, 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 the final commandments about loving other people. Love God. Love others. The reality is that he probably struggled with both of these just like we do. We overrate our goodness, therefore we lack faith in just trusting God. We try to do things on our own apart from him. We don't pray, we don't surrender, we just do our own will. So therefore we fail in our love for God. But we also fail to see others as fellow sinners needing the same grace that we need. Therefore we treat them as less than. We judge them harsher. 
But this man in verse 20 says, well, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? I think it's fascinating. Jesus didn't take a moment to just correct him and point out where he probably was lacking. But that wasn't his point at that very moment. Some of you say, well, I've never murdered somebody. What does Jesus say about that? If you hate your brother, it's as if you murdered him. Well, I've never committed adultery physically, but to look on a young woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your own heart. Jesus' perspective was much greater and higher than ours. But this young man saying, I'm, I'm not lacking anything. I'm, I'm still perfect according to what you've said. You see, no matter how good a person's life may appear, if thoroughly examined, every one of us is lacking and failing in areas. Maybe there are better days than others, but without the grace of Christ, all of us would be hopeless. We lack in our love for God, and we lack in our love for others. How about you? Where do you still lack? Have you examined your life lately? Have you been comparing your life just to others or comparing your life to the perfection of God? How is your love for God and how is your love for others? As I did last week, we uh, have a video that illustrates 21st century picture to the first century teachings we're talking about. So I'm going to have you just pause for a moment and watch this, and I'll come back and, and wrap this up as we walk through the text. I didn't realize how long it had been since we've used this room. We'll get the cleaners to come by tomorrow. Oh, please don't do that. I can clean and it. And we'll get some new furniture this weekend, as long as you don't mind using the little bed until then. Oh, please, that's great. Honestly, I'd really rather you didn't buy new furniture just for me. Well, at least let me look around the house and find some stuff that we're not using. I know it's only temporary, but I want it to feel like home. Sure. <laughs> Great. Come on. It'll be fun. No, Ray, you're not addressing the ball properly. How exactly should I address it? Your Majesty? Flattery never hurts. If you're serious about learning this game, I would not be listening to this man. Hey! Ray, this is Mark Silva. Mark and his wife are some of our first friends here at the club. Oh, nice to meet you. Yeah, that was crazy last night, wasn't it? We thought the club had double-booked the room or something. Yeah, it was a little hectic at first, but I thought it turned out great. Did you meet anybody interesting? <laughs> yeah. If you can't go to the circus, just bring the circus to you. That was a little awkward. Maybe he just needs a little help uh, learning a new stroke. In the meantime, we should really try to get all the circus clowns back together again sometime. <laughs> Okay, that was all saying, right? Okay. It's a start. I didn't realize I was checking into the Hilton. Please. I could make a pile ten times this size just with stuff we haven't used in years. <laughs> you know that verse that says if you want to be perfect, sell everything and give it to the poor? Some days that sounds so perfect to me. Well, thank you for letting me use some of it for a little while. Hey, what's this? That, my dear, is exactly what I'm talking about. That's 
A watch winder. A what? A watch winder. You put your watch in there and it keeps it wound. Isn't that what a battery's for? Not if you have a fancy watch that doesn't use a battery. Then you have to wind it manually. So, so this is... To keep you from winding it manually. <laughs> well, I don't think I'll be needing that. <laughs> Trust me, neither do we. What is it that they say, the stuff you own ends up owning you? Hopefully we're a little better about how we spend our money. Our time, on the other hand, Hey, Evan, I want you to meet... Oh. <laughs> you know, in my neighborhood, if we have stuff we don't need, we just have a yard sale. That sounds like fun. Yeah, imagine how that would go over with the neighbors. Hey, have you seen Evan? Oh, hey, Julia. Hi. Oh, wow, I forgot about all this stuff down here. Hey. Hey. You know how we're always talking about simplifying? Yeah? Julia just had a really interesting idea. Hey, buddy, what you got there? Hey, how much is that? Uh, let me see, it says 75, but I don't know how to get it out of here. Would you do 30? Also, the monkey comes off if you don't need a lamp or... More? Got a pair. Yes, that looks nice. Well, I guess Victoria's not in the shopping mood. Well, look who's having another party. Hey. 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 What's going on here? A yard sale. We're trying to downsize a little. Huh. You're welcome to take a look around. We can cut you a special deal. Are those some of the same people from the soup kitchen again? Oh, you mean the circus? Allison, hey, uh, hey, you want to meet Julia? Sure. Oh, sweetie, <laughs> I don't think that's such a good idea. I mean, they have company. Are you sure you guys don't want to stay for a while? Oh, uh, well, we do need to get together, but maybe when things aren't as crazy for you guys. So, uh, hey, good luck with your art sale. Right here. Oh, Frank, uh, you didn't sell all your possessions. But it's a start. Good. Give it to the soup kitchen. Hey, Mom. What do you want me to do with this? Oh, please don't tell me that didn't sell. No. <laughs> Great. <laughs> hey, so my mom says you got kicked out of your apartment or something? Megan. No, it's okay. Uh, it wasn't really my apartment. What do you mean? I made some really bad choices when I was your age. And then I, I made some worse choices to deal with my earlier mistakes. Um, there was a man who said if I worked for him and did what he asked me to do, he would give me a place to stay and take care of me. So why'd he kick you out? Because I met the most wonderful man in the world. Thomas over there, he helped me find a way out from doing what I was doing. It didn't make this other man very happy. He says I owe him a lot of money and he's getting aggressive, so 
Your parents gave me a place to live so he can't keep bothering me. I'm really sorry. Thank you. As much as Sukeshin appreciates it, I think we're going to have to turn down this particular donation. Looks like we're going to have to find some other use for those funds. Thomas, can I talk to you for a second? Perfect day, Frank. Perfect day. Confessing that there is a God and you're not him. Committing to loving others as you love yourself leads us to the last two verses. Where I believe he's, God's telling us to clear away all that keeps us from loving God and loving others. In verse 21, it says, uh, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I mean, Jesus commands this, uh, three things to this young man. Sell all of his possessions, give that money to the poor, and follow him. You know, as we surrender that which has the greatest hold on us, it liberates us to loving God and loving others. What I do not believe this passage is teaching is that everybody has to sell everything they have so you have no possessions. I don't believe that's the indication of the passage. This is the only time that Jesus actually tells someone to sell everything that he had. I think what he's pointing out here is this is what keeps this individual, this young man, from truly loving God and loving others because he loves his possessions more than anything else. This young rich man, uh, young uh, ruler had this obstacle of possessions. But you notice in the text, he, he was given the opportunity, in some sense, to be the 13th disciple. The words of Jesus, outside of selling your possessions, the, the words here almost mirror what he said to the other disciples when he walked up and told them, just leave their nets and follow me. He was at the point of decision, saying, am I going to walk away from that which I own, or really what that owns me and follow God, or am I just continue to, to stay where I am? He had a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity here. And you notice what took place. He walked away from it. You and I are given the same opportunity when Christ enters our life and he, and he, he confronts us with who we are. Are you willing to just surrender your life to him so you may be liberated to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as you love yourself. I'm going to close with this, one of my favorite stories that I've ever shared. I ran across this 20 some odd years ago. But I think it illustrates just how we can begin to love someone else when we, we, we put aside the obstacles and we see the benefit and the blessing that not only others receive, but we receive as well. The story is about a little boy named Teddy and a school teacher he had named Miss Thompson. Perhaps you've heard this. Miss Thompson was a school teacher who would every year say to her students, Boys and girls, I love you all the same. 
I have no favorites. Of course, she wasn't being completely truthful, for teachers sometimes do have their favorites, and what's worse, some teachers have students they simply do not like. Teddy Stollard was that boy that Miss Thompson simply didn't like, and for good reason. He didn't seem very interested in school. He wore a deadpan, blank expression on his face, and his eyes were glassy and unfocused. When she spoke to Teddy, he merely shrugged his shoulders. His clothes were, were messed up, his hair unkept. Sometimes he smelled a little funny. He wasn't attractive at all, and he certainly wasn't very likable among his peers. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure in putting X's on the wrong answers. She put F's at the top of the papers with flair. She should have known better. She had seen Teddy's records, and, and she knew more about him than she really wanted to admit. The records indicated, first grade, Teddy shows promise with his work, but poor situation at home. Second grade, Teddy could do better, but his mother is seriously ill. He receives very little help at home. Third grade, Teddy's a good boy, but way too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Teddy is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows little interest. Well, at Christmas, the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class brought her presents, piled them up on her desk really high, and they crowded around to watch her open each one of them. Among the presents was one from Teddy Stollard. She was surprised that he had actually bought her a gift. Teddy's gift was wrapped in brown paper bag and, and it was held together with scotch tape. On the paper were written these words, for Miss Thompson, from Teddy. When she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The other boys and girls began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gifts, but Miss Thompson had enough sense about her to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and dotting some of the perfume on her body. Holding up her wrist to the other children, she says, smell this, doesn't it smell lovely? Prompting the other children to take the cues of oohs and ahs. When school was over and the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind. He slowly came over to her desk and said softly, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you too. Gets me every time. I hate this. <laughs> when Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day when the children came to school, they were welcomed by a brand new teacher. Miss Thompson had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She became an agent of God, committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after her time with them. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones, and especially Teddy Stollard. By the end of that school year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He caught up with most of the students and even ahead of some. Once the school year ended, Miss Thompson didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. And then one day, she received a note in the mail. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I wanted to, you to be the first to know. I'll be graduating second in my high school class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note came. 
Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. And I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but it has certainly been a good four years, love Teddy Stollard. Four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore MD, or Theodore Stollard MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact, and I wanted you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. You are the only only family I have now. Dad died this last year. Love, Teddy Stollard. When Miss Thompson went to that wedding, she sat there where Teddy's mother would have sat. She deserved to be there, for she had done something for Teddy that he would never forget. Thinking about loving God, as Jesus says, go love some other people, which truly will prepare you to know how to love God well.